Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Lesson 3 of The Art of Marriage, the course that teaches you how to paint a beautiful masterpiece in your life. Okay, Lesson 3. Um, we got a, a tremendous topic, but let's begin with a dreaming exercise. You like that? A dreaming exercise. You'll find it in your book on page 58. Please open up your book to page 58. Learning interaction number one. The title of the class is, Will My Spouse, hey, Will My Spouse Ever Change? Got a lot of good stuff uh, going on right now. Alright, learning interaction one. Again, this is a dreaming exercise. You're going to have to use your imagination. You ready? I'm going to read it out loud and then I'm going to give you about uh, 90 seconds to answer the question, so think quick. Imagine you encountered a genie. Hey, the genie says... I'm in a generous mood and I heard that you joined the Art of Marriage course. That tells me that you're looking to upgrade your relationship with your spouse. What is the one factor or relationship dynamic that, if changed, will bring the greatest enhancement to your marriage? Tell me what it is and I'll change it for you. What would be your response? Again, nah, just one. Eh, give me best out of three. No, give me one. Give me one. One dynamic. That this genie can fulfill, genie can fulfill any, any, any request. One thing, now don't tell me, don't, you don't have to share this with me. Write it down on a piece of paper, fold up the piece of paper, fold up the piece of paper, and I want you to put it in your book on page 75. Do a lot of this, it's like the coattail here. Think about the Western Wall. We're taking notes and we're putting it in various places. Okay, the, one thing. the one thing. Again, here's the here the here, here here are the rules. What is the one factor or relationship dynamic that, if changed, will bring the greatest enhancement to your marriage? So, if you have a top ten list, that's fine. But what's number one? What's the greatest? What's going to have the greatest impact on your marriage? What is the factor? All right. I'm going to give you about 90 seconds to write that down. This is Josh's. No, I don't think so. It is. For sure. For sure. Check through it. What page are you What page? Oh, uh, 70. What did I say? 75? 75. Is that him? <laughs> 75. It's confusing? <laughs> you know, we're here, we're there. All right, again, the genie is waiting for your response. Dreaming exercise. And you can't do the old, oh, I know what you're going to say. Oh, I'm going to do the old, my wish is a hundred more wishes. Doesn't work like that. No, that is officially banned from your wish list. As a kid, I was always like, that's the best option ever. But no, I'm not going to let that fly. Again, I don't want to know your answer. Really write, think about this question. Write down your honest answer. What would make the greatest impact on your relationship? Write it down and uh, fold it up, page 75 in your book. All right, another 30 seconds. Again, we're on page 58, learning exercise. Oh, it's an, uh, learning exercise number one. Give me a second. Hey. Hey, no, I put it away. Okay, fantastic. That, that's, uh, let's wrap this exercise up. Here's my question, by raise of hand, even though hands are never a good judge of anything, because people don't raise hands, but I'm asking you to raise your hand, or, or just share verbally. Be honest, without giving me the details of what you wrote, 
how many of you wrote something that has to do with a change in someone or something else other than yourself, things are out, that are out of your control? Do you understand, my, you understand what I'm saying? Make any sense? How, your, what you wrote down, the change that you would request of the genie, was it relating to somebody else or something else outside of your immediate control? Yes? No. Yes? No. We have yeses and nos. Good. Hold that idea. Most of us, eventually in life, come to realize that we really can't change somebody else. Right? Anybody have that realization? You can't change somebody else for them. And that's why genies come in handy. <laughs> right? And uh, genies in the request. Comes in, comes in handy when you realize you can't. There are things, though, and dynamics, people that are simply out of our control. This creates a serious challenge when working on a relationship. Think about it. I might be serious about changing the relationship for the better. right? I, I want to improve the relationship. I'm all gung-ho. Let's improve. Let's communicate better. Let's connect better. Let's work on this relationship. But my significant other might not be as excited about it. Either they might not be on board at all, or they might not be on the same exact page as I am. In fact, to find two people that are equally motivated to improve the relationship at the same time is extremely rare. I would say much more the exception than the rule. So here's the big question. Is it possible, is it even possible for me or for you, for one individual, to actually improve my relationship? In other words, why bother reading a book? Why bother taking a class or a course if the other is not motivated to change what change can actually happen? Can I create a change on my own? That's going to be the premise. Who says yes? Who says no? You say yes. Depends on the whole scenario. So we need more information. Not enough information. Okay, good. In short, the question that's going to be one of the key questions that we're going to address tonight is, is there a way that I can actually change and improve my relationship? Is there anything that I can do? Or is it only something that we can do together? So if the other one's not ready to, to, to make a change, so nothing's going to happen. Or something that I can actually do to improve my relationship myself. Good Eve. Good to see you. All right. So Judaism has a unique and profound take on this, which we will develop in this lesson. Um, okay, that was the genie question. So here, the question that forms our title. Again, look here at the title. It's in your book also, but will my spouse ever change? Right? That's the question. Will my spouse ever change? I want to ask a different question. Does it even matter? Uh, okay, so, uh, good, good, good. It's a nuanced answer, but understand my question. Will my spouse ever change? The follow-up question is, does that even matter? Or can I affect change on my own and radically change the dynamic of the relationship without the other actually changing? How does that happen? How does that work? Let's find out. Alright, let's, uh, let's jump in. We begin with relationship wisdom from King Solomon. King Solomon is known as the wisest of the kings of our history. And besides for being the wisest of all men, he also had a lot of experience in relationships and marriage. He had many wives. So, let's just put it that way. Text one, I think, eh, what was it, about a thousand or so? But anyway, I digress. Let's, let's bounce over to page 59 in the book. 59, here we have a quote from King Solomon, the book of Proverbs. Uh, Howard, take it away, please. Who has found a woman has found goodness, and he will not listen to God's face. 
Okay, so there you go. Proverbs, so King Solomon says, he who has found a woman, found goodness, will listen to God's favor. Fantastic. Alright, marriage is a good thing according to this? Good thing? Found a woman. Facebook. On the street. It's called stalking. Sometimes there's a restraining order involved. It gets kind of messy. It's like, I don't know, there's a... Yeah. Maybe she was lost in... Lost and found. Okay, so he was found... Okay, we understand. I'm going to fill in some information. He's saying found a woman in a committed relationship, etc. has found goodness. I'm, I'm adding that. You'll, you'll just take my word for it. Yeah. No, yeah okay. Sold. <laughs> Alright, so what's he saying? Is it a good thing or not a good thing? He's saying it's a good thing. Number one, it's good. It, it kind of evokes what, what Genesis, right? What the Torah says in Bereshus. It's not good that man be alone. Therefore, right, that Adam be alone, therefore create Chava, Eve, etc. So found a woman, found goodness, there's good, it's good, right? It's not good, it's good to be together. And he will elicit God's favor, we said last week, two weeks ago also, that uh, the oneness, last week, the oneness in marriage elicits God's presence and God's blessings, etc. Okay, good. That's fantastic. So, it's a good thing. Take a look at text 1B on 59. You may have already looked at it. You may, you may have already looked at it, and it'll kind of raise a few questions. Alright, Howard, continue. And, and of course I know that this is not you speaking, and this is not, these are not your sentiments, especially with Charna right next to you, but go, take it away. Right, now of course the woman is not... I find, look at this quote, it's, it boggles the mind. Now, I want to ask all, any question you have, let's put it out there. I find bitterer than death, the woman. Now, it's out of order. The words are not, right? The sen- out of order is the sentence, but it's reflecting the original. And again, umotza ani, it's actually not even, I'll do a literal translation in here. Umotza ani, and find I, mar, mimoves, bitter than death, essayish of the woman. I find the woman bitter than death, says King Solomon, the same author, in Ecclesiastes, in Kohelet. Wait a second. One place... Huh? Huh? Right. Well, or you can... So, so in Mishli, in, in, in Proverbs, he says, Oh, you found a woman, that's it. You Goodness, blessings from Hashem. You got everything. You're all hooked up. Uh, in Kohelet, in Ecclesiastes, he says, Oh, you, vowed, oh, you don't want to get involved. You think death is bad. Oh, you bitter than death is, is this. Uh... So here's the question. Here's the basic question. What is going on? What, if you tell me there are two different authors, two different perspectives, all right. All right. First of all, how would you characterize statement number two? Bitter, cynical, super cynical, perhaps wrong, right? Perhaps. All right. So, specific to what? To a particular woman. The woman. Okay, okay. You know, a woman. Ah. Okay, good. I hear what you're saying. He says, Ha Isha versus Isha, the woman. Okay. I don't don't have an angle on that. We're going to have a different angle, which which everyone will like. But I hear what you're saying. But look what he... So some may say, well, you know, it, it depends on, maybe that's along the lines, it depends on what, he, was, he had a thousand wives. Yeah, maybe some were good, some were bitter than that. You know, you had a kind of a mixed bag with uh, as the law of averages. But that's, that's, that's not really, we can't, 
it's, it's not really a, a, a positive answer. It's not really a, a, a satisfying answer. Um, I'll tell you a quote from Socrates. You want to hear what he says? He says, quote, By all means marry. If you, find a, if you get a good wife, you'll become happy. If you get a bad one, you'll become a philosopher. So, right, so either way, it's a win-win, right? Philosophize. Anyway, here's the point. What is Solomon's opinion? Some say, by the way, that he wrote Mishri, he wrote Proverbs when he was younger, and he wrote Ecclesiastes when he was older. That's why he, some people say, so when he was younger, he was, he was all idealistic, and then he was old and like, oh, who needs this stuff? But again, that's still not, that's still not a satisfying answer. You know why that's not a satisfying answer? First of all, it's depressing, but that's... I'll tell you another, I'll, tell you, I'll give you another reason. This is part of Torah. Ecclesiastes is a part of Torah. It was canon, it's one of the holy books of Torah. It's not the five books, but it's part of what we call Torah. Torah comes from the word Horah, which means lesson or instruction. Torah is, a, is an instruction book on life. To have a straight-up cynical line in there doesn't, doesn't fit Torah. doesn't fit the MO of Torah. It's not like, oh, King Solomon was older and bitter and cynical and jaded in relationships, so he threw out this one line, don't get married, it's not worth it, you're only going to have stars. It's only going to be a problem. Come on. That's Torah? That's what Torah is teaching us? That's not, that, something is missing here. Something is missing here. And of course, it sounds terribly offensive. The second question we're going to ask, the third question. <laughs> you know what they say. You know, wait, wait, wait. You know, a young lady comes back. Wait, wait, wait. So there's a story. There's a st- along these lines, a young lady goes, uh, comes back after a date and tells, uh, tells her mother, she says, the fe- my boyfriend proposed. She said, but I don't know what to do. He doesn't even believe, he doesn't believe in anything. doesn't even believe in hell and Gehenna. doesn't believe in... So the, her mother says, he doesn't believe in hell, I will change that. <laughs> oh, oh, we'll make him, oh, we'll make him a believer, baby. Anyway, but... Anyway, so how do, so how do we go about this? So let, let's put down again, let's put down the three... So we have here the contradictory verses. One says, woman, goodness. One says, bitter... Is woman. Number one, how do we reconcile the contradicting statements? How can we understand the seeming misogyny in text one? What's, what, what is this? Is King Solomon? Is he? And what is the practical lesson? Torah is a book of lessons. What practical lessons can we derive from this cynical, bitter statement? All right. Let's develop the issue and take it to the next level. Again, we're not answering... Understand the structure here. This text 1C will not be an answer to the question. This is going to further enhance our confusion about the situation. So, the Talmud, tractate brachot. The very first tractate in the entire order of, uh, of Mishnayot and Talmud. The Talmud discusses what would happen back in the day in Israel at a wedding. Right? What would happen? Yeah, they would be saying l'chaim, some single malt would happen. Yeah, yeah. We, but what else would happen? Text 1C. Charna, take it away. In Israel, when a man married a woman, they would say to him, Matzo or Motzi, found or fine. Wait, does anybody get what, he said, what, what, what they used to say? Remember the two verses of King Solomon? One begins Matzah and one begins Motzah. Alright? Motzah or Motzah. Alright, so continue. The Talmud continues. Matzah, as it is written, he who has found woman has found goodness. Moksa, as it is written, I find Moksa bitterer than death the woman. So, they would, so what would they say to the groom at the wedding? 
Is it a motza? Wait, wait, let me get the, the words right. Is it a matza? Sorry, there's no motza. I just made that up. That's motzi matza. That's a different, that's a different seder. Again, they would ask the groom at the wedding, matza or motza? Ah, matza or motza? What were they asking him? So, so let's, so, so that's what they're asking. So, let, okay, so that's what the Talmud seems to be saying, right? They asked, we did two verses. One says, women and marriage is good. One says, uh, don't say we didn't warn you, right? So that, these are the two verses, right? So at the wedding, what are they, think about this. Think how mind-boggling this is. Well, let's present it and then we'll ask all the questions that come up. At the wedding, everyone's happy, everyone's dancing. Ooh, it's a party, right? Right. Well, hold on, hold on, hold that idea. So they're asking the fellow, the groom, matzah or motza? Is it? A, do you get? Is it good or is it not? Maybe they're asking what's your attitude about. Oh well, hold on, hold on. Okay, good. Hold that idea. But let's present the question first before we get the answers. Because if it's, we don't have the question, then you don't have a good answer. So the question is, my question on this is, what are they asking him? Here you have a groom at his wedding. What is he going to say? Oh yeah, it's a terrible idea. So what, what, what are you doing? Right? He's at the wedding. You know, if you ask the question at the 25th anniversary, yeah, was it a good idea in retrospect? Was it good or not so good? Then you can give it. Then you can maybe give a, an answer. Kidding. It's against cynical, huh? He's just getting married. He's just getting married. What are you asking? Mozart. Wait, he's going to say, oh yeah. Done. I haven't been married more than an hour and it's already bitter than death. I mean, what is, it? What, is, that, is that like an option for him to say? God forbid, right? What, what is the Talmud saying? What did they actually ask the fellow? It doesn't make sense. All right. Look, there's a lot of questions. This, uh, uh, this entire topic, the verses, the Talmud, a lot of it begs, begs, begs for interpretation, explanation, etc. So many commentaries, many scholars throughout the millennia have been discussing this idea. There's a beautiful, beautiful idea that's captured in text number two that will form a very strong basis for the entire class. Again, it's text two on page 60. Very central idea. You'll see it's from uh, the book called The Mystery of Marriage by Rabbi Yitzhak Ginsburg. He's a uh, very prominent scholar and author, lives in Israel. And he, this is not his interpretation. You know, he wrote the book in 1999. It was published in 1999. It's not his modern interpretation. This is called from many commentaries, etc. But it's just written nicely in English in this book. That's why it's quoted from here. So let's take a look at text number two. Howard, please, uh, please read. In the first verse of the verb, he who has found is followed directly by its object, the woman, implying that the, what the husband has sought and found is indeed his wife. His mind and heart focus on her and his conscious concern is to meet her needs and the needs of his family as opposed to his own. This is the foundation of a happy married life. The second verse, however, which in the original literally reads, and I find bitterer, and find I bitterer than death the woman, the subject I is interposed between the verb find and its object woman, as if the subject of the verb were also its primary object, thereby implying that the man is really more concerned with finding himself, i.e., with his own self-gratification. What's the answer? Who's got the answer? Who can tell them in their own words? Go. So the man either has found a mirror to his heart, okay. or he's found a mirror to himself. Um, okay, all right. I hear what you're saying, but t- tell me more directly what is he saying. The man has found somebody to give to versus somebody to get from. That's it. Give or get. That's the question. Giving or getting. All right. So here, I'm just show you on the uh, visually what, what, what's going on here. 
Here's the first verse. Right? Matzah and Motzah. Everyone can see? Can you see? Yeah? Okay. He who has found a woman has found goodness. So, Matzah, Isha, found a woman. He who has found a woman. So, the found, the subject, the found is woman. So that's the objective. So Matzah Isha, someone who found a woman, in other words, the object of their, see, of, their, of their search and their finding is indeed the other. Matzah Isha, Matzah Tov, has found goodness. Motzah Ani, the second verse says, find I, or I find, so who's the subject of the finding? Self. In other words, the objective is self. Self-gratification, self, etc. That is bitterer than death. One second. So the question is like this. Is it finding me? Is my relationship predicated on my search to find myself and others to satisfy my own needs? Or is it about finding the other committed to the relationship? Is it about giving to the other? In which case, King Solomon... See, this is, now we understand the brilliance of King Solomon. He's not giving you two perspectives on either it could be... He's not telling you, well, in my experience, some has been good, some has not been good. He's, he's giving us advice in those two phrases, in those two verses, how to ensure that the marriage is happy, and what will ensure that there will be conflict in the marriage. And here's the answer. If you're concerned about self primarily in the relationship, there will be conflict. Conflict that feels worse than, God forbid, uh, the worst thing. In other words, there will be terrible conflict. If the focus is on self, what am I getting out of the relationship? If the focus is about the other, what am I giving to the relationship? Then we got a lot of blessings. Then we got blessings, and we got we got we, we have goodness, and we have divine blessings. And here's what I want you to think about: Who said? Think about this question. Who said that a, a relationship and marriage is about getting something in the first place? Where does that notion come from? Think about it. A relationship. So, so we think if I when I get married or when I marry or the person that I marry, so they're going to do this for me and that for me and the other for me. Maybe that's not what a relationship is about. Right. It comes from it comes from the self. Says King Solomon that if you are stuck in your if you're stuck on fixated on what am I going to get from this. It's going to be a very frustrating experience. Because the moment you don't get it, or the moment they didn't get the right thing, or the moment you're constant, you're looking at self as the barometer of is this healthy, not, am I happy, am I not happy? That's why the, the phrase turns from found to find. You notice the difference between found and find? Past tense and present. Anybody notice that? Moza, Matza and Moza. When it talked about finding a goodness and finding ble- and, and ble- blessing, it says, He was found a woman, found in the past. Found has found good, goodness, and blessings. When it talks about a situation where it's bitter than death, it says, I find, right? Find in the present. What does that mean? I find bitter than death a woman. Finding in the present. What does it mean? If I have found, in other words, if I'm secure and I know that I have my soulmate and I, and I know my role and my responsibility in the marriage and the relationship, that I, it's my focus is on giving to the other. That's my focus. Their focus is on But my focus is love, loving them, giving to them, etc. That, that direction, that's what I found. 
So then there's goodness. If it's constantly a search of, well, finding, what am I going to get today? What am I going to... If it's all about me, the present, very, very little satisfaction that way. Not very little satisfaction. It, it becomes... A, a, it's setting up a scenario where the, the, the foundation of the relationship is in an unhealthy place. Again, this is from a Torah and Jewish perspective. This is probably not a perspective that you'll hear many other places. A relationship is about giving, not about getting. A healthy relationship is about giving and not getting. Does it make sense? Is it not for your perspective. <laughs> not for you. But the question is, does your giving, is your giving predicated on getting? Because if so, then you're not actually giving. You're just getting. You're just... Oh. You're not calculating. See, here again. So you're going to say it sounds idealistic. It may sound idealistic. It may sound idealistic. But it's according to Torah, this is the foundation of a healthy relationship. Think about it. So my perspective is, what's the other going to do for me? Right? Because... So, so the search is motze ani. It's searches. I, I find finding myself. The, the the objective here is my happiness and my satisfaction. So comes along somebody else, and I say, oh, they can make me happy. Fantastic. So now they're a pawn. They're an object in my in my search for happiness and balance and equilibrium and purpose in my life. This person is now talk about objectification. What is objectification if not? defining somebody as a role in my life. I've taken them from a person that has needs in the relationship that I can satisfy, and instead I've turned them into an object of my own gratification, which we'll talk about soon, the difference between love and respect. We'll get there soon. So that says the Torah, says King Solomon, according to the commentaries, etc., which explains the Talmudic story as well. What is the key to a healthy relationship, the healthiest relationship possible, is that when I'm concerned only... My focus is on giving. What, for them, their focus is also giving. So you're like, what if it's not? You set the tone for the relationship. This, time, this is how we talk about one person that can change the dynamic of the relationship. Say it again? All right. So then, then you're working together for a greater goal, like we spoke about. Oh, you're saying. Right. I hear what you're saying. You're saying then that will bring that out also. So it says to, and I think, look, I, I, I sense like, there's like a little bit of an energy drop. I don't know what that, like in the room. I don't know if it's because like, did he just say that? Like, I'm supposed to only be giving and not getting. I'm not saying you're not supposed to be getting. I'm not saying you shouldn't get anything from a relationship. I'm saying, what is your role in the relationship? What is your perspective? What is your focus? What is your, what is your, what is your end game? Is it I'm here to get? Says Solomon, if that's what it is, that you may be setting, it, it may be a very rocky road. If your objective is to give, you got a great opportunity. That's why at a wedding, they ask the groom, what's your objective here? You're, getting, you're happy now. It's easy to, get, to be happy at a wedding. So easy to be happy at the wedding. The question is, is your perspective self? Are you focused on self-gratification? If so, buckle up. It's going to be a bumpy ride. If your focus is on making her happy, what can you give, what can you do to make her happy, then we have a different story. Then happiness can, uh, can, can be sustained, yeah.
which is a mitzvah on me. Mm-hmm. Is that a super vav? Does it put in, does it put this in future tips? Um, it's a really good question. I know, I know exactly what you're asking. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I got to look at the bigger context. There's a whole, there's a whole line. That's another. I understand what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Being focused on the present tense opposed to the future, the ideal. Right. Yeah, yeah. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Go back to Burton's point. Yeah. I think it's a good point. It works both ways. But are you saying subconsciously it shouldn't? What I'm saying is, what is your I understand your question. I think I understand your question. See, we have to take a step back. We have to understand that we have, we walk in with a story, with a narrative. Let's use use like narrative terminology. We all come in to this class right now, to this time, with a story, with a narrative. And for most of us, I would say the vast, not most of us here, the, the world, most of the world, the narrative says that a relationship means that now I'm going to be getting stuff. Stuff. I'm going to be getting love and attention, right, and respect and security, and it's I'm, the relationship will mean that I'm even the concept of Hashem said it's not good for man to be alone. Fantastic. So you know what? I'll get married, and then what will happen? It will be good. Good for who? Probably good for me. So what's the purpose? What's the objective? Me. What I'm saying is, Judaism teaches that if you're able to deconstruct that narrative, you're able to, to, to really get to a place where you can at least slip out of that space. To say, it's not all, my, the relationship, my focus cannot be, in a, to be healthy, cannot be trained on myself. It's going to be a profoundly frustrating relationship if I'm constantly searching and seeking for what am I getting today. That's why it's moats, it's, it's, it's a never-ending struggle. Because even if I got something yesterday... Well, what am I getting today? Are you giving to me today? And you didn't give me the right thing. You gave me the right. You gave me the wrong thing. You gave me the different thing that I wanted. You gave me what I wanted yesterday, but not what I wanted today. You don't really know what I want. It becomes all about me. That's a terrible place to be in. Says Torah, what's a healthy premise, narrative for the relationship is, um, we're, we're getting married. We are married. What's the premise of the relationship? What am I giving to you? How can I give to you? What am I giving? What am I giving to you that you need? That's my focus. Again, the question is: his mind and heart focus on her, and his conscious concern is to meet her needs and the needs of his family as opposed to his own, or I'm concerned, or he's concerned with finding himself with his own self gratification. That's the question. And it works for each way. It doesn't only work for the guy. That's the critical. Maybe that's what everyone's missing. I'm sorry. If that's okay, if that was the, if that's the question, of course the answer is it's not only for the husband to the wife. It works both ways. But your but the individual, whichever spouse it is, you can ask questions. So why is it directed to the man? It's another question we could we could we can explore. The of course so. If that's if that was the question, then that's a valid question. It it works both ways. The point is that each spouse should be concerned about the needs of the other, and the other spouse should be concerned about the needs of you. But not that your concern is about the, your needs. Your it's almost like what direction? If you were putting an arrow, let's talk about love. Ah, I'm going to modify this later, but I'm going to mod- you'll see how I'm going to modify it later in a very important way. But let's. On the superficial understanding of love. If you were to draw a directional arrow regarding love, 
and you're standing here, and the other is standing right there, and, and you're talking about my love, what direction would you put it at? Where would the arrow be pointing? To the other. No one would say, oh, you know what love means? What can I get? Even though I'm going to present later that that's exactly what love means for most of us. But it, no, one would, no one at least would be would have the chutzpah, would not be embarrassed to write that arrow that way. Love means, of course, moving to the other, right? This is exactly what we're saying. If my focus in the relationship, myself, narcissism, what can I get? How can I get? How can I get more? How can I get less? What? If it's about that, then it's, it's... Says King Solomon, it could be a situation that's bitter than death. Very, very stressful, uh, etc. Not ending well. Whereas if my, if my focus is on the other, and yet the other's focus on me, but that's not my concern. The moment that becomes my concern, then it's again about me. My concern is about you. How do we get there? Alright, that's the journey. We're going to get there soon. But this is the general premise of, of, of a healthy relationship according to Torah, according to Judaism. Is that each party, each spouse is concerned about the other, putting the other one first. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, on the other one. Right. No, no, everybody's focus is on one of the two. So your focus isn't on her and her focus is on her. Okay. Okay. You're talking about where this breaks down. Yeah, when, when that's what you're saying. Yeah, I think so let's before we get yeah, so what's your question? No, it seems like that's the concern. Okay, good. Hold the concern. Hold the concern. Okay, good. Good. So you're saying this is great. In theory, what I practice. Let's let me develop but now, before we get to how this breaks down and say, okay, so what are we going to do? Let's, uh, let's figure out, right? Let's figure out how it works. Let's figure out the details of how it works. Because right now we're still general. You've got to focus on to have, a, according to King Solomon, to find goodness and God's blessings. Focus on her. Matzaisha. Uh, Look for the wood. Turn toward her. You want a situation that might breed negativity, focus on yourself. All right, that's, a general, that's a general lesson. What that means specifically, we'll get to soon. But first, let's let's address quickly the question that we asked right at the beginning of the class, which, again, I'm answering, it's a quick shot. The question that I asked is, is there any value in one individual in the relationship working to improve the relationship if the other one's not so gung-ho about it? What's the answer? Absolutely. Why? Because you're... Because it... It's not about what you're getting from the others. Well, the, the, if the other one's not going to change, so then what's going Ah, who are you thinking about? It's about you. Understand? If I'm thinking, what's the value of me figure, getting, getting to a better place in the relationship, right? Learning more, improving how I, re, how I act in the relationship. If the other one's not going to improve, what that, mean, that means is, if they're not going to change, and they're not going to give more to me, so then why should I get... Ah, okay. So then it's, about, it's still about me. It has... My change, my focus is on my role and responsibility in the relationship, which is to give to the other. Now, now, change from within, happiness in marriage is a personal responsibility. Okay, now, ideally both should be taking that journey, but that doesn't preclude the fact that one individual can work to become a better spouse and give more and focus more on it. And as I'll say at the end of the class, and I'll say it now, Here's Rabbi's guarantee. One person is really dedicated to this ideal of marriage, it's going to have an effect on the other person. It's going to have an effect. If each one is concerned about themselves, we know what happens when each one is concerned about themselves. It breaks down. Now, let's, uh, this is all the general Jewish approach to improving relationships and enjoying a happy and healthy marriage. It starts with 
us retraining ourselves to focus on what we're giving as opposed to what we're getting. But that's all very general. What I want to address now is specifically, what does it mean? Specifically, what does it mean to give to my spouse? What does it mean? It says, each spouse, husband and wife, should be focused on the needs of the other and giving. Not what they're getting, but giving to the other. So here's the question. What, so what do I need to give? What does that mean? How do we define that? To answer the question, we have to ask another question. What do you think the question is? What do they need? What are the needs of the other? If I, in order to define what I, what my oblig, what my role is to give, or what I am to give to the other, we first have to define what that other one needs. Think about it this way. Think about it this way. And, and it's about, And by the way, the answer is going to depend on whether we're talking about husband or wife. It's a multi-layered discussion here. All right. I want everyone to, as they say, your health cup. Hold head. Hold your head. All right. Focus for a second. The idea that we're presenting now is that each spouse should be focusing on what the other one, on, on the other one's needs, fulfilling those needs, etc. How do you know what to give? How do you know what to? What to you got to know what they need. What they need is going to be different than what you need. Why? Because we have dynamics that are different between men and women. That's the way it works. And people. So think about it. If I'm giving, right? I'm saying, okay. So the rabbi said that I should be more focused on what I'm giving to, to, to my partner, what I'm giving to my spouse, and, not, and less on myself. More, even if we want to make it, forget all or nothing. More on, on the other and less about myself. Okay, I can handle that. I can, I, can, I can be a little more selfless. I can be a little more focused on you. You focus on me, I'll focus on you. But not because of that, etc. Okay. So focus on you. All right, so I got it. I'm going to give you what I imagine somebody would need. Oh, what's the problem there? You're giving your, your it's like it's like Leah's birthday comes around and uh, August 28th and uh, and if anybody's counting and I get her a new set of golf clubs and I say, dear, happy birthday! Here are the golf clubs. They're great. They're the brand new, like they're really cool. Uh, I, I went. I went to a non-realistic. Lay um, <laughs> here's this really cool tablet computer. It's just awesome. So no, but let's just stick with the golf clubs for a second. So like, Leia, this is it's a great. What? No, it's a great. Just, let's pretend like I'm all into golf. So this great new golf golf club, and you're like, I don't want the golf clubs. Like, okay, fine, I'll just use them then. So right, think about it. So am I, who am I giving a gift to? I'm giving a gift to myself. I'm not. Forget myself. I'm not giving. I'm not satisfying the needs of the other. I'm not in touch with what she needs or wants. So if I really want to be giving in the relationship, right? Again, the premise is a healthy relationship is predicated on me, forget about the others, me giving to the other. But that, that I can only be given to the other if I'm actually considering what the other one needs or wants. Yeah. That was a big thing I had with my, my ex-husband. It was a 17-year story. Anyway... It was, do you want me to buy you a present? It's like, no, I want you to want to buy me a present. Don't ask me if that's what I want. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't want... Does that make sense? I don't. Yeah. So I'm going to demystify this. Be, I, I, the way I'm going to demystify this. Right. In other words. Right. Because so you want it to come from the, they, you want them 
to be invested in a relationship. What we're really talking about here is, think about it, if you want to use a different term that maybe will sit better, oh, it makes more sense, is investing in the relationship. Each party, what do you mean to be invested in a relationship? That you're giving to the relationship, as opposed to just sitting in the relationship and saying, well, alright, what am I going to get today from the relationship? Alright, what, what are you delivering my way? Are you invested or you're not invested? And the other, as you said, the other can tell if you're invested or not. By how much you're giving, by how excited you are, by how, how meaningful that is. But again, what does that mean to give? What does it mean specifically? So again, when, when talking about spouses, husbands, and wives, each will have different needs. Again, based on the individuals, but also in general, emotionally, based on the general different makeup, emotional makeup between men and women. So here's a massive disclaimer. You ready? Massive disclaimer. This is like in red, bold lettering. Whoop the letters. Lettering. Warning. What you're about to hear is absolutely not politically correct. What you're about to hear flies in the face of all the all of the uh, literature that says that there are no differences between men and women. What Torah acknowledges that there are physical, biological, emotional, intellectual, and indeed spiritual differences between masculine and feminine, men and women. In fact, Kabbalah teaches that it's the spiritual soul roots of the masculine and feminine souls, respectively, that determine the, the, how everything plays out on the lower realms, but that's another discussion. We spoke about it actually, we had a 20-week session on that in uh, Sunday morning's Kabbalah and Coffee. That's another story. The idea, here's the point. Torah, as I said before, is, uh, is a book of instructions, or a life manual. Think about, you, you wonder, hey, how come this, this existence doesn't come with an instruction, with like a user's manual? Well, it does. That's what Torah is. Torah tells us what to do, what's healthy, what's not healthy, etc. And Torah says that men and women are different and have different needs. So therefore, in a healthy relationship where each spouse, each individual, each party is focused on, first and foremost, the needs of the other, so we'll have to clearly articulate, well, what are those needs? And if I try to project my needs onto them, I'm, I'm obviously not satisfying those needs, if, unless we're the same, but we're not. So the gender distinctions... That, and, and here's another point. The gender distinction that Torah uh, teaches are just starting to be appreciated by uh, post-PC psychologists and behavioral scientists. In fact, we have an interesting text, text number 7, that, uh, that expresses... We're going to get back to the text that we skipped. I'm just doing this a little bit out of order because I believe this is, uh, this is a good order to do it in. Take a look at text number 7, page 67. Denise, take it away, please. So look, 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 look what it's saying over here. It's saying something very simple. Look, we're talking about on average. Yeah, there are different. There are there's there's variations within each, obviously. But these are some some generalizations, some some realities that 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 just keep on coming up, keep reappearing. Continue. What's not clear is the origin of these differences. Evolutionary psychologists uh, contend that these are innate traits inherited from ancient hunters and gatherers. Another school of psychologists asserts that both sexes' personality have been shaped by traditional social roles and that their personality differences will 
shrink as women spend less time nurturing children and more time in jobs outside these To test these hypotheses, a series of research teams have repeatedly analyzed personality tests taken by men and women in more than 60 countries around the world. For evolutionary psychologists, the bad news is that the size of the gender gap in personality varies among cultures. For social role psychologists, for social role psychologists, the bad news is that the variation is going in the wrong direction. It looks as if the personality differences between men and women are smaller in traditional cultures, like India or Zimbabwe, than in the Netherlands or the United States. A husband and stay-at-home wife in a patriarchal patriarchal uh, Botswana clan uh, seem to be more alike than a working couple in Denmark or France. The more Venus and Mars, the more Venus and Mars have equal rights and similar jobs, the more the personality seems. Okay, and you see that's a that's a quote from an article, a New York Times, 2008. That's title of the article is As Barriers Disappear, Some Gender Gaps Widen. The point is really not to, not to argue back and forth about this. because it, the, the point is that Torah says, just like there are biological differences, distinctions, there are also, there are also other distinctions. There are emotional distinctions, etc. And again, there is a range, there are variations, etc. Both masculine and feminine have both traits, etc. But in general, these are some things that we can say. So, Torah responds to this reality, and Torah teaches us exactly what it is that the other needs, and how to fulfill those needs. So in other words, if, if marriage, if the ideal marriage is where I'm focused on the needs of my spouse, um, and my question then is, okay, so what are those needs? Those needs are going to be different than mine, so where do I look for advice? There's an app for that. There's an app for that, and it's called Torah. All right, let's... Uh, before we get to Torah's take, let's get to uh, let, let's let's get your input. Let's do a little survey. Little survey says action. Page sixty-three. Turn back, please. Turn to learning interaction number two on page sixty-three. Okay, see that little box, the little chart over there. Let's read the instructions. Rate the importance of the following three emotions, assigning each a number from 1 to 3. 1 means most important. 3 means least important. Again, you're ranking these three emotions, love, respect, and reverence. And we're talking about uh, the importance of these three emotions coming from husband to wife, or from wife and from wife to husband. You understand the instructions? Make sense? On a personal level? You're saying for you or for the world? Yeah. Are we, are we say, if we're in a marriage, are we rating it as we see our current marriage? Uh, no, 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 no. You're going to say, you know, you're going to, in an ideal situation, yeah, in an ideal situation, ideal situation, which which ones are the most important? I think You can write your answer, think about your answer, let's just discuss it out loud. Um, husband toward wife, love, respect, or reverence, what's number one? Who's got love as one? Well, mine does, I mean, because that's the difference between why you're in a committed relationship and as opposed to just um, a, a great relationship. Okay. Okay, good. You're saying the love, the love is the determining. Okay, good. Respect. Two. Two. And reverence. 
Okay, wife towards husband, what's number one? Love. Okay, does everyone, do people say one, two, three, straight down both? No. 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 Who's got something different? What do you have? I have one in the respect column for both. For both. One, love, two, reverence, three? I don't want to, I mean, I don't want to. I can, I can take that. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, you're with her? Okay. You guys are like working together. You guys are all, uh, okay. I, I yeah. I would put, uh, respect one for both, reverence two for both, love three. Okay, I hear that. I hear that. Oh, I'm going to define it soon. That's, I mean, that's, that's a key question. That, that's, that's like the million dollar question. Uh, huh? I, of course you can't answer it without giving you the answer. I don't want the answer. I want your gut reaction. I don't want the answer. Okay. I think a lot of the gut reaction is, around, is definitely around the word reverence, though. I mean, I, we like that or we don't like that? I don't know. Wait, love is or not? Love and respect are easy Okay, okay, good. Reverence is like, whatever, I don't get it. We're going to put it to the side. Is that not respect? It's a, it's a different level than respect for me. Okay, yeah, I hear you. Okay. And then you lose this, the. I think it's more easy to be disappointed because people are imperfect. And when I think of reverence, I hear what you're saying. Okay, I, I hear I hear you're defining. You're saying reverence is like on a pedestal, and then the moment they do something wrong, you're like, oh, I wasted my pedestal on you. Off, next. Okay, I hear that. Yeah. So reverence doesn't actually have to be putting the person on a pedestal. I hear you. So you're saying reverence is a divine quality Correct. of there's a bigger thing here in the relation than just to us. And that, okay, that's good. I'm, I'm going to define it differently. But that's fine. It's good because this is, this is how we work through it. It has um, a um, connotation, which I'm sure you're going to dispel, of one being humble and the other being lowly. Yeah. I want, yeah, I may or may not dispel that. So, <laughs> <laughs> you'll, you'll have to you'll have to see where we go. Uh, no, no, I'm serious. I may or may not dispel that. You're gonna see. We're gonna. By the way, these three terms. The reason why these three terms are here in the box because the text that we're about to study from Maimonides, which, by the way, without this context could be severe, context, i.e. this class and this discussion that will ensue, could be severely misunderstood. To be like, oh my, this is what Judaism teaches, I don't want anything about it. Okay. Yes, I have a question. Wait, wait, hold on. Let me just, so the, the Maimonides uses these three words, these three terms, throughout the discussion. Love, respect, and reverence. He doesn't use reverence, but the concept of love, respect, and reverence we find throughout his writings. Honor, but he uses the word honor, or it's translated here as honor. He uses kavod, but in, in the English it's translated as honor. Honor and respect for our conversation will be the same thing, as different than reverence. I, the English, if there's a difference in English, disregard that. The Hebrew, just stick with the Hebrew. Every time you hear either honor or respect, the Hebrew for that is the same word, kavod. Yeah. For this class, I'm going to have to 
situation here, I think there there is the potential of gender getting in the way. Gender getting in the way. We want gender to get in the way. There's a distinction. That's what we're going to get to. Yeah, that's why it's asked husband or wife. wife to. Now, I will tell you that in our discussion, so the ones that were more vocal said that they, they believe that the same ranking one, two, three is for both genders. Or I didn't hear of a distinction between them. We're going to see how Judaism has a different take. Again, recognizing and responding to the difference between genders and the needs of each gender. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, yeah, there's a lot of... Tr- right, right. No, no, I'm totally with you. I'm totally with you. But there is also a concept of misunderstanding in the sense of, in the sense of taking, understanding something out of context. Right? Okay, good. So that's it. That's all, that's all I'm going to say. On that. Okay. Now, you'll see why I'm saying all this. Text number four. And if you want, you could highlight it red. You could put a star by it. This is going to be the central text that tells... Maimonides here is tell, speaking to the individuals, the spouses. He's saying to the man, this is what you need to do. He's saying to the woman, this is what you need to do. You want a healthy marriage, a healthy relationship? These are your responsibilities. Let's take a look and read this. Burton, take it away. Again, text 4, page 64. Go for it. The sages instruct that a man honor his wife more than he honors himself, and love her as he loves himself. If he has riches, he should use it to benefit her in accordance with his needs. He should never impose excessive fear upon his wife. He should talk with her gently, and he should exhibit neither sadness nor anger. Okay, this is advice for whom? For the man to how to be how to how to be in a relationship with his wife. Okay, let's continue. Our sages instruct that a woman honor her husband exceedingly and according in reverence. She should carry out all her deeds according to his directives and consider him like a minister or king. Hmm. She should follow the desires of his heart. Now, if you came, be honest, if you came across this text, that's right. I said it. I said it before. You come across this text, and what are you going to say? Like, oh, really? I'll see you later. I'm going to explain that this is not only, this is not only not closed book worthy. This is not only what Torah is saying. This is what the most current post-PC Behavioral scientists are saying, "Okay, exactly what it now, again." Yeah, 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 yeah. Like social sociologists that are not trying to make sure that they're not stepping on anyone's but that are being honest based on the research that they're doing, are saying the same exact things that Rambam says. My mind, he says, "Let's explain. Let's ex- we'll go piece by piece. We're not we're not going to mince any questions here." Continue. This is the manner. This is the manner of holding. So it, the way my now Maimonides is not writing is not just pulling this out of thin air. 
Maimonides in his introduction, just to give you a context, Maimonides in his introduction to this work that this quote is lifted from, says that his work is taken from the writings of the entire body of oral tradition, from the Mishnah, the Talmud, the Midrash, and all of the other works. And he says that all you have to do is study the Torah, the five books, and study my work, which is called Mishnah Torah, and you'll have everything. You'll have the written law, the oral law, everything is there. Okay, so he basically is summarizing and calling from the entire body of Talmud, Mishnah, etc. So he has a very. So what does he say? He says, "I'm giving an instruction. This is advice. This is Jewish advice, marriage advice for men, and this is advice for women. And if they follow this advice, they'll have a holy, they'll have a pleasant and praiseworthy marriage. That's that's what he says. Now, wait." Okay, now, what are the questions that come up one at a time? Number one, what's the, what's what what? Two. Hold on, wait, 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 wait. That's one question at a time. No, no. To who? Um. Well, it connotes to me as a wife, um, sort of a subservient oh, position. Good. Which 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 good? Which words? Uh, which which lines bring that out? Um, oh, suddenly we don't like reverence. Before we were not sure. Now we know we don't like it. According to his directives, and consider him like a minister or king. It's like, what is up with that? A king? A minister? What is a minister? Directives, right? It sounds very, very, very. You know, uh, 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 good. Good, good, good. It sounds like we're. Uh, we're back in the colonial era. Sugazund. Okay, good. Give me, huh? Uh, no, give me more. Give me more questions. I, we're not. We're not. There's no. We're not. I'm not. If we're, if I was hiding from questions, we wouldn't bring up this text. And I and I don't. I think it's. I don't think it's an honest relationship if, if he's someone not. Someone exhibits their sadness and anger from the other. And good. They're robotic with each other. Good. Good. Sugazund. It doesn't say, by the way, that he should be robotic. No. He should. He, he should t- exhibit emotions. But that's a continuation. Should talk with her gently. Should exhibit neither sadness nor anger. Okay, good. That's a good question. Valid question. Good question. Another, let's get more quiet. We just have to be careful that we're that we're that we're that we're being consistent. We're being true to what he's actually saying. There are a lot of questions on what he's saying, but let's just make sure that we're, we're accurately depicting what he's saying. Yes. Yeah. If Torah is stuck in a certain time and era, okay. So this gets back to a, to a general issue with Torah. If to one simple issue. If Torah is stuck in a certain era, in other words, if Torah only makes sense in a certain context, back in the desert with Moses, yeah, Torah made sense. But today, we, we, we figured some better stuff out and we, we're advanced from that. So if that's the premise, then we might as well close the book and just open up whatever, just watch Dr. Phil. Because that's what we're dealing with Dr. Phil. If, wait, wait, let me explain. 
if we believe though that Torah is divine and God doesn't change and God knows the way human beings are working and God doesn't uh, and God gives us the Torah is an eternal advice because we don't have another Torah and God says the Torah you're getting that's that's the way to that's the way to roll. If that's the case, uh, hold on. If that's the case, then we have to understand that Torah's advice is still relevant. And that's the premise that we're taking. We're taking the premise that as much as things changed, uh, things have changed, there are certain truths that Torah, resp- that Torah speaks to, the details that aren't eternal Torah does not talk about, but the stuff that is consistent Torah deals with, and the Torah's advice is timeless advice, timeless wisdom for our, our concerns. Good. And um, I don't like how all the language is written here. Right, good. But I, you know, I, I'm just being realistic. I talk with all of my female friends, and a lot of the complaints are the same things, which are he doesn't listen, he doesn't, you know, almost things. Yeah, right? good, good, good. And so that's what, you know. The and I speak with the guys. Oh, no, that's the complaint. No, 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 no. There's other stuff. We're going to get there in a second. On the other side, I think that um, there... I I do think that there are um, things that are more meaningful, more impactful, more appreciated from men, too. That there are some different things... Thank you for being very honest. Even within the modern... Good, good, good. Now, okay, good. Uh, We have to have... we have We have to have an honest conversation and not get... And not get thrown off because of the language. And I'm, we're going to explain it, but hopefully in 25 minutes, you'll be okay with this text. Not only will you be okay with it, you'll say, this text is not only brilliant, the latest, all the latest, understand, the latest techniques for improving relationships, how to communicate in relationship, how to respond to their needs, are actually saying the same exact thing as Maimonides is saying. Yeah, maybe the, word, the wording is more... My mind is his way, of, his way of writing. We get. We, uh, let me explain. Let's hold the. Let's hold questions. Wait, yeah, very quickly. I think the thing that comes out of me is the inequality. Because you know, we assume we're going to go into a relationship. Nobody's going to going to lead. Nobody's going to follow. We'll be equal partners. So in the first paragraph, it doesn't talk about. Queen. Doesn't talk about. Queen. Good. Wait, wait, wait. Give me a better term. What doesn't it talk about? I gave you three terms: love, respect, and reverence. Okay. Good. Well, there's no reverence. For the woman, right, there's no, the, by the man, is there love? Yeah. Uh, sure. Is there? Yeah. Is there? Love someone show me where it says the woman has to give the man love. Love someone, her Someone tell me where it says the woman has to give the man love. No. Some, what, do you understand what I just said? Do you get what I said? That the woman has to give the man love. Okay, let me, let me explain. Let me, I understand what you're saying, and I'm saying exactly the point. I'm 100% agreeing with you. Let me explain. There are three words here. Love. We set it up already. You have already the three words. Love. And what? Forget about anger. Forget about anger. Anger is anger's another story. Anger, I don't think we're going to get to anger. After the class, if we want to, it's going to throw us off too much. No, I know, I know. It's in the text. I know, I know, I know. I know, I know where it is. I, I, we're not going to have the time to cover it. There's love. There's respect. And there's reverence. These are the three I want to focus on. 
Who, which one, let's break this down. Which, which word is by both? Respect. respect. Honor, respect. That word is by both. Which is by, which is by, from the, from the man to the woman? Love. Which is from the woman to the man? Now, you're saying you don't like, or what's striking, you're not saying you don't like. You're saying what's, what's, what's striking people is the inequality. What I'm saying is, I already prefaced this. We already worked through this. I mean, I already worked through this for myself. But I'm saying We hopefully worked through this to say that Torah is not stuck on PC saying that everyone's the same and has the same needs. Torah is responding from the architect of the human being, of masculine and feminine. God knows what makes men and women tick. And God says, I know, and I'm putting this in Torah, that for a healthy relationship, men and women are going to have different needs. Some will be the same, some needs will be, will be the same. Some will, will have variation from one to the other. A healthy relationship is to, is to be responsive, to be able to be honest and be responsive. And aware, number one, aware and then responsive to the specific needs of the other as different than your own. Because again, if, it's, if, if you need golf clubs because I need golf clubs, then that's missing the point and it's not healthy. The more we know about the other, the more we can actually respond to what they need and not what we think they would need or what they should need if we were all the same. This is the key point that Torah says. Let's break it down. Again, all of this is by way of introduction. Let me explain. Let me explain. First, we're going to talk about the difference between love and respect. You ready? Let's begin. Love and respect. We spoke about this in, in various ways up until now. Let me explain what this means. Love is I love you. Who comes first? Ah. When I say I love you, I come first. Love is about, love is usually somehow related to me. It's my love. My feeling of love. This is a very um, illuminating text. Very illuminating. Text number 5, 65. Let's take it away, please. Text, page 65, text 5. You like that? Do you love? Uh, what do you love, though? Do you love it, or do you love how it makes you feel? Again, yeah, you love money. Everyone loves money. Why do you love money? Because you love the money? No, because money means that you get more stuff. So who do you love? You don't love the money. You love yourself. I love chocolate. Really? You have a chocolate collection? You have like a some creepy ode to chocolate situation with candles, and you're like, like, uh, you know, no. You like, well, no, 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 hold on. 
Oh, that's the way. We gotta focus on things at a time. You can't mix. Put it on a pedestal, call it chocolate. No. So again, so love is love could be. I love chocolate. I love. I love you. What does it mean? I love how you make me feel. I love how you give me meaning in life. You give me a purpose. You you make me want to sing and dance and wake up in the morning. I love you. I want to shout from the rooftops. I love you. I love how you make me feel, is what I love you means. That's what I love you means. Love you means, I love you means, I love how you make me feel. That's why I love you. Okay, now, what's the problem with this? What's the problem? Problem is, it's not healthy. It's not healthy. As I said before, I use the word objectification. And I want to use it again. Objectifying means that I am looking at the other not as a person with their own needs and their own desires. And their, I'm looking at them as serving a role that is um, a role that I, that I benefit from. In other words, they're an object in my happiness. So, I love you, I love how you make me feel, etc. It's also a very tenuous arrangement. I'm talking about prob- issues with love. Let's start, let's start from another place. Before I present the issues, let me tell you why I'm presenting the issues of love. Okay, you ever hear the expression, love conquers all? You ever hear the love conquers all? You ever hear the expression? It's not true. Why is it not true? There are plenty of people that are in love, and it doesn't work. Because love doesn't wash the dishes. You know what? That's exactly the point. Right. Love, right? Because if that. Okay. So here's the problem with love. Love. If the other one senses, if the other, if, if the partner, if the spouse senses that your love for them is because you love how they make you feel, they feel objectified. Oh, I, you love me. You don't really love me. All you love is the fact that I make you feel a certain way. So you don't love me. <laughs> you love a role that I play vis-a-vis you. So you don't love me. What do you love about me? Do you know what I? Do, do you know who I am? Do you know what I need? What I love? No, you just love how I make you feel. Mazel tov. Thank you. That's terribly disrespectful. That's one issue with love. So, love, love conquers all. Fish love doesn't conquer all. Here's another issue. The other issue is a very tenuous arrangement. Love, insofar as I love you, so insofar, as long as you give me what I need, I love you, because that's what I love you means, I love myself, and I love you in the context of you, give, you providing whatever it is to me. So then, that love is only, as, uh, only lasts as long as, it, it's conditional love. It's conditional on you giving me what I need. So, as long as you give me what I need, I love you. I, I don't love you, I love what you're doing for me. When you don't give me what I need, so then I don't really see a role that you play. Because, aren't you here for me? And what happens when I recognize that they have their own needs? Forget about it, as they say in New Jersey. So, so this is because love, love can be, forget about it, love can be very focused on self. Love, another problem with love is another deficiency. I'm not saying love is evil. I'm saying love has its challenges. Another challenge of love is that it can be very controlling. I love you, therefore, I need you to be a certain way. Right? I love you. And therefore, you're doing something so silly. Right? I love you. Why in the world would you have... Honey, I love you. Why would you have bought that timeshare? What were you saying? What were you... What are you really saying? What are you really saying? 
forget the time shirt. It's, I, I, I don't like using. No, but the. Well, okay, fine. Yes. Okay. Again, what's what's the issue? I because I love you. How could you have done that? What is what is that statement saying? Not only have you done that to me, but why are you not thinking the way I think? Not only offsetting criticism, it's why aren't you the same as me? Because again, it's self-love means that I'm the barometer of all that's good and loved and holy, etc. So it's if I love you, of course, but you're, I need you to be like me. If you're not like me, then you're different. This is where respect comes in. I think it will become clear when we contrast it with respect. What does respect mean? What does respect mean? Respect means I respect who? You. It's not about me. Think about respect. Respect has nothing to do with me. I respect Albert Einstein. It, right, theoretically. Or, or, or actually. I respect Albert Einstein because of what he did, because he taught me E equals MC squared. Oh, my life is so much better because of that. Because something that a benefit that I'm receiving, or I can objectively say, wow, he's a tremendous fellow. Respect means I appreciate, it's not about myself. Love is, I feel love, I feel love. Love is my feeling. It's what's coming to me. Respect is really about the other. I respect the other. I, I appreciate the qualities of the other in distinct, in con, as distinct from myself. In fact, the more distinct the other is, the more I can respect. Understand? There's more respect, the more distinction there is. Love tries to make everything the same. We love it. We, oh, we love the same. We, we watch the same movies. We listen to the same music. We're in love. The same love is sameness. Respect is distinction. Respect respects distinction. You're different than me. I respect that. If you respect that. If you don't respect that, then there's no respect. Now, does this make sense so far? Love and respect? Okay, good. Now, and by the way, respect is not only theoretically I respect you, but it means that I'm, I'm, I'm willing and able to do what you want, even though it doesn't speak to me. Respect for you means I know that you need something or want something. And even though to me, I would never want that, I don't want to do that, but I respect you that I will, I will do what you want, or I will do what you need, because I respect you. In a relationship, love without respect is absolutely doomed. Absolutely doomed. It's called an Ava Teluya Bedover. Empirical Yavas and Ethics of the Fathers. It's a love that is absolutely 100% contingent on something. The moment you take away the factor of contingency, the whole thing comes crashing down. Love that's not predicated on respect. I don't respect the person. I don't respect the person. I don't respect who they are, their own identity, etc. I only love them vis-a-vis me. The moment it's not all about me, there's no love anymore. It's done. The relationship is finished. Because why? Because I never loved the person. I never loved them. I never respected them. Healthy love includes a healthy, massive dose of respect. I really respect the other's opinion. I respect their needs, their wants. Their, I respect them. This is what we were saying before in a relationship. Is it about me or is it about them? Love, respect. And you need also love because I can respect somebody and not love them. I can respect the president. I don't love the president. Of course you need love. You need the feeling of closeness. But only the feeling of closeness without respect means it's all about me and that is absolutely doomed. Now, that's why Maimonides writes. Again, we're, we're, I want to get back to Maimonides. That's why Maimonides writes for both man 
and woman, husband and wife. For both of them, he says, what is a critical ingredient to a happy marriage? Each one has to respect the other. You're different. You have different goals, dreams, personalities, ideas, definitions of things. Fantastic. Respect the other. You can't respect the other? Then what's the relationship predicated on? You can't respect the differences? So what's it based on? That they make you feel good? Wonderful. What happens when they, when they, when they say, well, this is how I feel? Like, oh, you don't make me feel good now. Done. You can't, if you can't respect them, relationship is doomed. Respect is the foundation of the relationship. I'll, now, let's take it to the next level. Although respect is... So that's why my mind is... By both. Man to woman. My mind says, come here, come here. Fellow. To the, to the guy, to the groom. He says, listen, you're about to get married. Here, come here. Come here give a cook. Give a cook. Come here. Come here. Come here. He says, come here. You're getting married? Mazel tov. Respect your wife. You love your wife? That's great. Respect her for who she is. Not for who you want her to be. Not for who you are. How she makes you feel. That's all great. That's fish love. Respect her for who she is. It's fish love. I love fish. You don't love fish. You love her. It's fish love. Don't love her with fish love. Love her for... Respect her for who she is. Love and respect. You also have to have love. Calls over... The, the, the kala, the bride. You're getting married. Mazel tov. You got to respect. You, gotta, you, love your, you love your groom to be, your husband to be. Fantastic. Have to have respect. You have to respect him for who he is. You have to respect. If you don't respect him, so then there's no love. What kind of love is it? It's self-love. It's not real love. Now, let's move on. Maimonides then says, the man doesn't only need to respect his wife. He says something else. Or honor his wife. He says something else. Someone, someone tell me what he says. He has to honor his wife. Huh? No. Honor his wife. Honor his wife. Come on. I can say it by her. More than he honors himself. It's right there, right? Am I wrong? Text 4. Um, our sages instructed that a man honor his wife more than he honors her. Love him as he honors So love is equal. You love, love. Okay. But honor is more than his own honor. Look what he says there. This is a critical point. Maimonides says, and this gets to the heart of how Judaism, again, Torah, gets into the essence of men and women. And says, look, the, a, a, a threat to relationships. The, the, okay. Torah says, Maimonides presents, but Torah, Torah wisdom says to the husband, you have to be conscious of your wife's respect. She also works both ways. But your respect has to go above and beyond. You have to have even more respect than yourself. Or even, perhaps you can say even that she has to respect you. you more respect. Why? And the Talmud says text 8. The Talmud says text 8 as well. The same idea. Mark, I'm going to read text 8, 68. Man should always be especially scrupulous for, for, to record his wife on Okay, so especially scrupulous. Zahir. Zahir, especially scrupulous. What, what, what's the emphasis? My, this, Talmud, Maimonides, what's the emphasis on, on the special emphasis from the man to the, to the wife, from, from husband to wife, about honor? So here's the deal. The reality is, and again, you can argue it, but you're, it's, it's an argument against what we know to be true. That is, there is a greater chance in any relationship that a man will objectify a woman than a woman a man. Is that right or wrong? Do we agree with that? Object. There is a greater chance that a man in a relationship between between a husband and a wife, right? In a relationship between between man and woman, there is a greater chance that the man 
will look at the woman as the source of his gratification, etc. And that's it? As opposed, as opposed to the other way around. There's more... There is more, there is more of a chance. There's more of a likelihood. Based on the natures of men and women, again, this is, this is in Torah, and this is also in modern, uh, modern discourse, that the, that the man will objectify, the husband will objectify his wife, as opposed to vice versa. Are you going more into the realm here? On every level. On every level. That she's, she has a role to play, and this is the role in the, in the family, in the marriage, in the house, etc. And this is the role that she plays vis-a-vis everything, and what she wants, whatever, but this is what she has to do. There's a greater chance that the man is going to do with the woman. Says the Torah, you have to be, Torah's wisdom, Maimani's advice is, you've got to go the other way. You've got to be more careful about respecting her for who she is. And not objectifying her as serving a certain function, a certain role. Think about traditional... What I'm trying to tell you is, Maimonides is going against, against everything that we were rejecting a moment ago before. All, everyone was up in arms. This sounds like old-fashioned. Objectifying, oh, a woman is there to serve her husband. It's exactly what he's saying not to do. A woman is serving her husband, right? A woman's role is to serve her husband, Yeah? A woman, that's what it sounds like my money says. He doesn't say that. We're going to explain soon what he says about the woman to the man. He's saying, on the contrary, you have to respect her more than you respect yourself. You have to honor her more than you honor yourself. It means you have to honor her, respect her for who she is, not for her definition, the way you want to define her in a certain role. The difference between true respect and objectification. So Torah, therefore, instructs the husband to be conscious of this need to feel that you are the need of, the, the, this absolute need of both, but especially of the woman vis-a-vis the sense that it could be distorted in relationship predominantly one way, that she, this need to feel cared about, not cared about, um, valued. Valued for who she is, as opposed to serving a certain role, etc. So sure, a woman needs to feel, you know, a wife needs to feel her husband's love and closeness. That's true. But respect, to an even greater degree. A man has other needs, Torah says. A man has other needs. In addition, we said a man also needs respect. Both parties need respect. But a man has a deep-seated need to feel trusted, capable, and competent. Agreed or not agreed? A man, do, do we agree? Yes, I think men would agree. To feel that you're competent, that you can be trusted, that you're capable, it's, it's an inner, ask any man. His greatest kryptonite is to feel helpless and incapable. That's his greatest humiliation. To feel like he can't do something. Hence, Torah says to his wife, treat your husband like he's a king. What does that mean? What does it mean? It means make him feel like he's the most capable person on earth. That's it. This is based on the need of the husband. So to deny or subvert that is, not to be, is just simply not to be responsive to the other's needs. So again, Maimani says, and this is Torah wisdom, that in the relationship where a woman, where a, a man might be tempted or might be susceptible to objectifying his wife, who looking at her as only serving his needs or other needs, etc. So it's imperative 
that the husband recognized that this is a, a deep need of his wife to feel, to feel honored and respected for who she is. So give, give her that respect. Respect her and honor her more than yourself. And, in a, and the other way around, where the husband, where the man needs to feel, a deep-seated need is to feel trusted, capable, and competent. So the wife should be focusing on how can, I, how can I give my husband what he needs? That sense of security, that sense of strength, that he has that strength. Let's look at text number 10. Let's take it away. Text 10 on page 70. What does that mean, actualize? We're gonna, I'm going to explain soon from the Maggot of Koznich what the upright woman, what that means, actualize her husband's wishes. We're going to have an alternative explanation. But simply what it means, that this is from the Midrash, it means that, look, make it, allow your, make your, give your husband a sense of being in charge, of being in control, of having that, uh, having that strength. That's something that he needs to feel. And in a healthy relationship, each spouse is concerned about satisfying the needs of the other in a healthy way. So if the other needs to be respected, give them respect. The other one needs to feel like they have strength, that strength to to be capable to take care of something. Allow them to take care of something. Now, let's take a look at learning exercise number three. Um, Page 71 and 72. We're not going to go through this. I want you to go through this. This is taken from a book called How to Improve Your Marriage Without... On page 70. The following two lists are, t- are from How to Improve Your Marriage Without Talking About It by Patricia Love and Stephen Stosny. The first is a list of how a woman can shame a man without trying. The second is a list of things a man can do to fill the void that exists in a woman's life. Can you discern the difference between the marital advice dispensed to the man and to the woman? So turn to the page. Page 71. How a, man, how a woman can shame a man without trying. Excluding him from important decisions. Robbing him of the, of, of the opportunity to help. Correcting what he said. Questioning his judgment. Giving unsolicited advice. Ignoring his advice. Implying inadequacy. Making unrealistic demands of his time and energy. What is the common thread over here? Undermining uh, his authority, confidence. Undermining his confidence, basically. Undermining his confidence. Right? What's, what are things that a man can do to fill the void that exists in a woman's life? Quote, unquote. Acknowledging that it's your responsibility as well as hers to keep your home. Okay. Appreciate all that she does for the home and family. Do your share of household chores. I don't know if I like this list. Do the chores you agree to. No, not because not of that, because I think it's too, it's too simplistic. Do the chores you agree to in a timely fashion. Notice what needs to be done. Uh, let's find something better here. Um, if you know her dreams, keep them in mind. If you don't know her dreams, pay attention to and let her teach you. Understand that her dreams change. Understand that her dreams uh, are not the same as yours. Oh, there we go. What's that about? Her dreams are not the same as yours. I knew you want to, like, you don't love all the stuff the first third of the list. Yeah. I think those are things that drive women crazy. Why? I agree, by the way, I agree with it. I agree with it, but I think it's not the it's not the depth of it. I agree with it. Come, but I, let's explain. Let's let's do this. Why does that drive a woman crazy? Because the he- why does that drive the crazy if he doesn't? Why? Why? Huh? So why does it drive her crazy? Because she looks at herself, she feels that he's looking at her as a dishwasher, as a laundry folder, as a maid in the house. She feels disrespected on, a, on the deepest of levels. A woman, a need is to feel, because of the susceptibility, 
to feel disrespected, says Maimonides, make sure you're going the other way. Make sure you're crazy respectful of her, which means doing the dishes. Don't assign a role. Don't, don't objectify her. This is who you are. This is your role that you play, etc. God forbid to do such a thing. She needs more respect than you need. So that she, Maimonides is saying exactly this. On the deepest of levels, know her dreams, respect who she is. She has an opinion. She has, she's not just serving you or the family. Like it was maybe in other societies in modern days. Like the dainty petticoat says, I'm here to wash the dishes and that's, all, that's, that's my identity. Says Torah, your wife has an opinion. She's a human being. She's a person. Do you respect her? Respect her more than you respect yourself. Says to the, says to the that's what she needs. And when she doesn't have that, you said it drives her crazy. Because she feels objectified. She feels pegged. Who am I? This is my role. How dare you not respect who I am? That's exactly what Manis is saying to the husband. Fellow, you want a happy marriage? Forget you want a happy marriage. You gotta be a mensch. How can you be married and not respect your wife? More than yourself. To the woman, she says, look, whether you need this feeling or not, he needs to feel like he's got things under control. Allow him to feel that. Say yes, no problem, you can handle it. Give him the confidence that he needs. That's a trait, that's a male trait. Again, do all men have this? Do all men have this need? I'm not going to say all men have this. In general, do lots of men have this need? Do lots of men feel humiliated when they can't do something? Yeah. Is it a deep-seated need for lots of men? Yeah. Says, says Maimani, says Torah, know that this is something. Be aware that this is something that your husband needs to feel. And help him feel that. You have the power to give him what he needs. And this takes us to the alternative explanation, which is so beautiful. Because I think it, rema- it removes the last piece that's a little bit uh, uneasy in the air. And if you want to say, I want to I cut it right after this, because I, I want to be respectful to your time, not to my uh, pontification, to your time. And I'm two minutes disrespe- disrespectful. I want to cut, I want to keep it to under five. I'm going I'm to paraphrase now. The Torah tells us that before God gave us the Torah, God tells Moses, speak to the house of, of, of speak to the house of speak to the house of Jacob and tell the sons of Israel. And the question is asked, it's redundant. House of Jacob, sons of Israel, the Jewish people, we get it, it's the same thing. Says to all the commentaries they say that first God said to God says to Moses, first go to the women, go to the Jewish women and ask them, do they want to receive the Torah? And then go to the men. The reason is, as it says in text 11a, it's the nature of the men to follow the opinion of the women. So if you think that Maimonides is saying that the, me, that the woman doesn't have a role in calling the shots, know that that's not true. Says the Midrash, the nature of the men is to follow the opinion of the women. Who's leading the charge? It's the women. What does it mean that, that the woman is doing the will of the man? It means that she's influencing him. And then, when he gets it and he says, let's do this, she says, no problem. You got it. A wise woman, a wise woman is going to not is going to number one influence, influence. Say this is important. These are values. This is this is the direction. But do so in a way that doesn't undermine what the man needs to feel. This is what's called an Asia Schuyler woman of valor. This is also called a kluger, a smart, a clever woman. A clever woman knows how to set chart the course. How to set the standard, how to, how, to set, how to set the lead, the direction. And at the same time, do it in a way that doesn't cut, down, cut off the legs. Make the husband make the husband feel inadequate and cut out of the situation. And then she says to the man, you are so wise and so smart. Right. 
and you think it's a game, the point is here, there are, need, there are emotional needs. We can deny from today to tomorrow. There are emo, basic emotional needs that human beings have. And Torah says that there are differences. There are similarities, but there are also nuanced differences between men and women as far as what those emotional needs are. The more cognizant we are of the, of the emotional needs, the more able we are to respond to those needs. Says Maimonides, everyone needs respect. Give your wife a lot of respect. Make sure she never feels like you look at her as someone who needs to do the dishes and cook dinner. God forbid. Ever give off that impression. Whether you feel like that or not, never. That, that, that's terribly demeaning. And for the, hus- for the wife to the husband, respect, not only respect, this is what reverence means. Reverence means make him feel like he has the capability to make a decision, etc. And influence it. Influence it. Says the Maggot of Kuznich. You're influencing the decision. But do it in a way that doesn't cut him down. Do it in a way that doesn't undermine him. Not because, oh, if so, it's good. Because that's an emotional need. And you got to be, if, in a relationship, if you're giving, if you're focused on what I need to give, you got to know what the other one needs. That's it. That's it for today. So let me, let me just recap and conclude and we're out. And then any questions, any elaboration, we could go through my money's line by line if you want. We can go through all that after the class, after we conclude. Torah teaches us, again, in conclusion, that the key to changing our relationships for the better lies in our hands. Not in the other. Don't worry about the other. It lies in your hands. How do you look at the relationship? Instead of looking at what you're getting, look at what you're giving. And to know what you need to give, to know what to give means you've got to know what the other one needs. Love is, power, is a powerful emotion, but it does not guarantee happily ever after because it's often self-directed and controlling. Husband and wife need more than love between them, and the Torah articulates the individual needs of both. We're almost done. A primary need of a woman is to feel respected and valued for who she is, not objectified love for what, what she provides. Quote unquote. A primary need of a man is to feel trusted, competent, and confident, not humiliated or powerless. Husband and wife have the opportunity to be sensitive to the specific emotional needs of the other and respond to them in kind. This builds a strong, healthy, and lasting relationship happily ever after. Now, open up your piece of paper on page six, uh, what was it, 75. How would you answer the question differently based on what you know? That's it. All right, next week, next week, um, huh? the question was if you, if you asked the genie to, if genie said, one wish to improve the relationship, what would it be? If your answer was anything outside of you, then maybe you m- might want to adjust the answer. Um, because otherwise, you're crazy thinking, oh, what do I need from the relationship that's still focused on self? Ask the genie to help you be more in touch with what the other one needs. That's a good, that's a good first response. Now, next week, the title of the class is, you're going to love this, Becoming a Better Half. What is a mensch? Defining what it means to be a mensch. So what does it mean? Right, what's a mensch? Anybody have a good definition for a mensch? Come next week. Ah. <laughs> All right, good stuff. We'll see you then. Same bad time, same bad channel. Thursday, Thursday lunch.